Bibles, turn with me tonight to the book of Joshua, chapter 6, and verse 1. So good to have everybody with us tonight. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord. There is no better place to be. Jesus' name. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 says, Now Jericho was straightly shut up. It means it was locked down because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Verse 16, then it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves cursed. When you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Jericho was strictly shut up. None went out and none came in. By all intents and purposes, the odds were stacked against the children of God. But God is not limited to what man can do. And so when I'm part of the kingdom of God, I am not limited to what man can do. We're going to preach tonight about apostolic culture. Apostolic culture. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer tonight. God, I love you. I thank you. I give you praise. I give you honor. I give you glory for everything you're going to do tonight. God, I pray that your will would be accomplished. I pray, God, you'd move in a mighty way in me, through me, in your people, through your people. God, I pray that we would become even more so like the church, like the kingdom of God that you have called us, that you have ordained us to be a part of. 
in the name of Jesus. God, help us to embrace apostolic culture tonight in Jesus' name. Why don't you give God a shout of praise? Why don't you clap your hands? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, you can be seated. Apostolic culture. Jericho was straightly shut up. It was closed. It was on lockdown because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. The gates were fastened. They had barred them. They had chained them. They were not opening them for anyone. They were set to live only upon that which was inside the wall. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Mind you, they just recorded the city is locked down. The gates are shut. None are coming out. But more importantly, none are going in. But the Lord said unto Joshua, See, See, I've given it into thine hand. But God, you don't understand. They're locked down. They won't let the gates be open. How in the world can I get in there? How in the world can I take the city, but God was letting Joshua know, I'm not just going to give you the city, but I'm going to give you the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. God was letting Joshua know, he was hoping Joshua would understand that just because the door is closed to man does not mean that the door is closed to God. And furthermore, God does not need your door to be opened. God does not need your window to be opened. But God said, I will tear the walls down brick by precious brick if I must in order to prove myself to my people. Straightly shut up and God is saying, see... I've given it into your hand. You want me to see. I'm looking at Jericho, one of the oldest cities in the world. You see, a city does not get to be old by being weak. A city does not get to be old by being easily overcome. But see, Joshua, Jericho, this old city. On the plain of the Jordan Valley at the base of the Judean mountains, about eight miles northwest of the Dead Sea, about 800 feet below sea level. It receives only a few inches of rain annually, yet it is an oasis 
known as the city of palm trees. It would seem, Joshua, that not only is this city impregnable, not only is this city locked down, but they are seemingly not relying upon that which falls from the heavens. But there is another source to create this oasis in the wilderness. And God is telling Joshua, I want you to see this city that's locked down and I want you to see it in a state of defeat. I want you to see it in a state of disrepair. But God, it doesn't look that way. That's because you're looking with your man's eyes. You're looking with your human eyes. You're looking with your human nature. But God was not asking Joshua to see it with his own eyes. But he was asking Joshua to see it through the eyes of a God who loves his children and who keeps his word. came to pass in verse 16 at the seventh time when the priest blew the trumpet Joshua said unto the people shout for the Lord hath given you the city he tells them don't take of the accursed things that are in there don't be squandering don't be stuffing your pockets full of the enemy's belongings as tempting as it might be we're going in and we are going to destroy everything. We're going to destroy every individual, every person, save for Rahab, the harlot. Everybody that's in her house. Why? Because she hid the messengers that we sent. We're preaching tonight about apostolic culture. And I understand we're preaching from the Old Testament. We're talking about the people of Israel as God's chosen nation. But there are parallels here that we need to understand. We need to understand that God is a keeper of his word first and foremost. The Bible tells us that God is a God who cannot lie. I believe that even if he was trying to tell something that was not the truth by the time, Brother Venable, it exited his mouth, it would not be a lie anymore, but it would become truth. That the world would shift and the world would change in order to accommodate the word of God. So this city to which everyone was doomed to destruction, there's this woman by the name of Rahab. Bible tells us that she's of the mind and it gives us a little insight to what's going on inside of Jericho in chapter 2 of Joshua and verse 8 she had hid these men and before they were laid down she came up unto them upon the roof and she said unto the men I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the kings of the Amorites and that were on the other side Jordan, Sihon and Og whom ye utterly destroyed mind you Rahab is 
is giving us insight into the mind, into the murmuring, into the chatter of the city of Jericho. She's saying, listen, we know who you are. We know what you are. We understand that your God is for you. And that's caused a terror to fall upon our hearts and upon our minds. Let me preach to you tonight that hell is well acquainted with what God has done for you. Hell is well acquainted with every storm that God has seen you through. Hell is well acquainted of the spirit that lives inside of you. Rahab is reciting stories that happened more than 40 years prior. She said, we know how the Red Sea was dried up. We know how God did this, and we know how God did that. You see, let me tell you that the culture of the kingdom of God has a way of sticking in the mind of the enemy of your soul. seventh day they were to march around this city seven times. They were going to sound the trumpets. They were going to give a great shout. They were to demonstrate to not only the Jerichoans, but more likely this was to demonstrate to the Israelites that God was fighting their battles for them. And because God was fighting their battles, there was no cause to fear. The fact that they were asked to march silently one time every day for six days was countercultural. It was counterproductive to the culture of war. No one in the history of the earth had ever won a battle that way. They had never been uh, uh, accustomed to that sort of warfare. And the Bible does not record, neither does history record, another occurrence of this nature afterward where the army would march around the city for six days, one time each day, and then on the seventh day, seven times. A total of 13 times. The Bible does not record before history does not record after but what God was doing was he was countering the culture of warfare of that day and he was telling them listen this is the way that things work in the kingdom the battle is not to the swift the race I'm sorry the battle is not to the strong the race is not to the swift but it's to he that endures to the end when God gets in the midst I feel like preaching tonight when God gets in the middle of something it's going to be countercultural. It's not going to make sense to my mind. It's not going to make sense to my heart. It's not going to make sense to my neighbor. It's not going to make sense to my culture. And this is proof that the ways of God are countercultural. Countercultural. The kingdom of God is counter-cultural. According to an article posted in mid-2015 the Huffington Post. Mind you, this is 2015 that this article came out. Now, when you hear these things, remind yourself of things that are going on today and how much even we were blown away 2015 by things going on in the culture. Just bear with me. 
I'm going to read directly from the article. It says, we were pretty bored around the midway point last year. But 2015 has given us more than enough to celebrate and condemn. It's been a wild six months, and pop culture is no exception. Our list of the peaks and troughs ranges from a heroic coming out and a record-smashing TV debut to an embattled comedian who just won't go away and a divorce that leaves our hearts gone, baby gone. A stunning 17 million people tuned in on a Friday night to watch the reality TV star and former Olympian come out as transgender during a nimble Diane Sawyer interview. A month and a half later, Caitlyn Jenner, mind you, I'm reading directly from this article, made her debut in a Vanity Fair photo spread captured by Annie Leibovitz. Both moments resulted in triumphant celebrations of an American hero finally granted the chance to claim her true identity. Not only does Kendrick Lamar have the honor of making the first number one album with Pimp in the title, with the release of To Pimp a Butterfly, that's just countercultural to my common sense. That's not in the article. But he's also graced with 2015's best reviews. A complex but endlessly listenable symposium on race relations to pimp a butterfly was hailed as a, as a dizzying rush, a bravura masterpiece and a celebration of the audacity to wake up each morning to try to be better. End quote. You see, the spirit of the world, the spirits which are contrary to the things of God, want their actions to entice a generation to produce a culture of like carnality. They want everyone on the bandwagon. They want carnality to appear the norm and living for God and living separate from that world to be weird. And unfortunately, for the most part, they are succeeding. But I want hell to know that in 2020, in spite of all of that, in spite of five years, uh, five more years of degradation, of sliding down a slippery slope, there is another culture that is warring and is combating against the spirit of the world. And I believe that under the sound of my voice, there are young people that in this day and in this age are making up their minds. I will live counter-culturally. I must act. Apostolic. If I believe in the apostles' doctrine, and I do, I must preach apostolic. I must speak 
apostolic. I must preach the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I must preach how that relates to the salvific process of the repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and living a holy and separate life. The apostolic culture demands it. The apostolic culture mandates that I live differently than the world. I cannot win a world by being like them. That's not what Paul was meaning when he said, I became all things to all men that I might win some. But he was saying, I'm going to be able to relate to them at their level. That doesn't mean I lower my standard, but that means I don't be afraid. I'm not afraid of their mess. I'm not afraid of the dirt. I'm not afraid of the mire. I'm not afraid. So I got to preach like the apostolics preach. I've got to preach like the apostles preach. And I've got to believe that my actions create and warrant a response. That the word of God warrants a response in kind. Believe it or not, your actions matter. How I have church matters. It does. I don't believe for one second that hell is afraid of a quiet little now I lay me down to sleep prayer. If you believe that way, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. I don't want to burst your bubble, but I want to help you tonight. You've got more power than that. You've got more power available than that. You need the Holy Ghost if you don't have the Holy Ghost. You get the Holy Ghost, you get baptized in Jesus' name, you get filled with the Holy Ghost, and, and then you'll understand. I don't, I don't believe that apostolic culture is satisfied with just quiet, run-of-the-mill, Trying to find the right word. Quiet, run-of-the-mill pacifist. You understand? I don't think hell's afraid of that. You know, my understanding of being a pacifist means that I'm just going to kind of sit back. Let things go. And, and there's a time for that. There's also a time when the blood-washed, spirit-filled child of God needs to feel the unction of the Holy Ghost begin to well up inside of them that says, I will not go silently any longer. I am not satisfied or I will not be satisfied just coming to church, going through motions and just passing the time by. But I believe that the apostolic culture mandates an apostolic atmosphere. 
What is an apostolic atmosphere? I'm going to tell you what an apostolic atmosphere is. An apostolic atmosphere is a prayer meeting for 10 days that does take care of business, but in the end, there's a mighty rushing wind. There's demonstration of power. There's demonstration of an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It says, I'm going to make you new. I'm going to make you different. There are times, folks, when an apostolic culture gets messy. That's why I don't do a whole lot of hugging after Sunday night church. Not for my benefit, but for yours. Because I don't smell the same after an apostolic atmosphere as I did before. Because an apostolic atmosphere is less concerned about leaving with everything in place. An apostolic atmosphere is less concerned, young lady, about having every hair and every bobby pin exactly where it was when I came in. Young man, an apostolic atmosphere is less concerned about having my tie on straight than it is having a move of God. Okay, you're not going to take my word for it. Have you ever been to a ball game? Because I have. I used to sell hamburgers and hot dogs in, in high school at our Friday night football games. That's another conversation for another time. Hey, I love football. I like hockey too. As long as it's not this sissified. I want to see him throwing fist on me. That's my carnality, okay? But you go to a football game, you go to a hockey game, those people get involved. I'm not just talking about the people on the field. Their brother Mike, the people in the stands get involved. The people on the rink, on the ice hockey rink, aren't the only ones throwing fists sometimes. I remember being a kid listening to a, a basketball game on the radio and all of a sudden you start hearing about the Detroit Pistons and how the, the guy, Ron Artest is up in the stands and he's throwing fists. He's throwing hands with the, the crowd. It's almost as if the carnal culture understands that it's got to be a vibrant atmosphere. I mean, how many of you, before you were in church, ever went to a, a heavy metal concert? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we got some witnesses. The fog machines weren't the only thing making smoke, baby. I got a pastor friend of mine said, my favorite spot was right in front of the stack of speakers. I'm on the highway to Why do you think it should be any less vibrant when you come into the house of God? Where do you think they learned it? They learned it from an archangel by the name of Lucifer that said every time the Spirit of God begins to move, every time worship begins to take place, there ought to be a moving. There ought to be a shaking. There ought to be a light show. There ought to be a sound. 
There's a sound that needs to emanate from the culture of the kingdom of God. An apostolic culture demands an apostolic response. The apostolic response created a Pentecostal experience that caused the nations to say these men are drunk. They're full of new wine. The culture of the church was never meant to be quiet. Young person, that's why we push you to worship. That's why we push you to praise. Because you're part of a culture that is counter-cultural. Be seated. My actions matter. My worship matters. Let's talk about Malachi 3. Oh boy. Verse 10. If this was not an apostolic culture, if we weren't part of an apostolic church, things might get tight here, but because we are, they won't. Talking about giving in your tithe, giving in your offering. That's an act of worship. Okay? Watch, verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith. Prove me. My God's just sitting back saying, okay. You want to show? Prove me, baby. Let there be meat in mine house. Prove me now herewith. Herewith what? By the bringing of tithe, saith the Lord of hosts, prove me if I will not open you the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Okay? And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. I was on the phone with a pastor friend of mine the other day about something completely different. And, and he was asking me how things were going and I was asking him and we were just chatting and being buddies, being friends. And we started talking about people opening businesses, apostolic entrepreneurship. And I think that's the will of God. I think that's the will of God. And he said, you know, he said, I was riding in my truck the other day with a young man. And he said, you know, this guy was, he said, well, pastor, you know, I'm supposed to do this and it fell through this year. I'm supposed to go to school and it fell through this year. Things are just really bad and this pastor and he, he can do these, this, this kind of thing because it's just who he is he said you know Brother Fishburne he said I looked over at my truck I said you know what buddy he said I looked at the church books the other day he said you haven't tithed all year he said so God can't bless you he said that guy so there was just an, an attitude change there was a, a, a moment this guy just started repenting started praying in my truck he said, that was on Monday. He said, and on Tuesday, he gave. They don't even have church on Tuesday. Okay? But he started giving. He repented. He said, you know what happened on Tuesday? He said, he called me. He said, Pastor, God's blessing me. It's just the way it works, folks. Okay? Prove me. See if I won't. That young man can tell you that God will. 
not rebuke the devourer for your sake. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast your fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And watch in verse 12. And all nations shall call you blessed. Why? Because you worship. Because you gave back to God what is God's. Because of what you and I do, all nations will take notice. You see, folks, the kingdom of God, the apostolic culture has the ability to call the folks around it to come and join. People don't want to be a part of something that's dead. You heard me say it before. You'll hear me say it again. People don't want to sit around and watch water freeze. They don't want to sit around and watch paint dry. But you let somebody light a match. You watch a building. Don't do it. Just imagine with me. Nobody slams on their brakes to watch a lake freeze over. But if there's a tragedy, if there's a, a house that's on fire, all of a sudden it starts getting people's attention. The kingdom of God is not a tragedy, but you understand what I'm saying. He said, you know what? You've got the ability to call the folks around to come and join. Our response to the things of God has also produced a culture. Webster defines the word culture as the beliefs, the customs, the arts, etc. of a particular society, group, place, or time. A way of thinking. A way of behaving. A way of working that exists in a place or organization. So there's a culture in the world. Pop. Culture. If you didn't know, it's, it's short for popular culture. culture but there's also this counter culture which is set to be the exact opposite in fact if we were to dig real deep if we were to open the Bible, if we were to understand, then, then we would understand that the culture of the kingdom occurred first. It occurred first in the mind of God. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, there was an apostolic culture that was established or was to be established. It was, uh, it was patterned out to be the primary culture. However, sin entered into the world. And so there is a counter culture. So don't believe. We need to flip things around tonight. Don't believe that you're part of counter culture. You are part of the culture, and they and it is really the counterculture. I know that may be pop. I know that may be lit. I know that may be all the rage, but let me tell you something. We are part of the original culture. We are part of what is happening. We are part of what is real. We're part of something that's everlasting. That earthly culture, that temporary popular culture will only last for so long. But young person, you're part of the culture that has no end. You're part of a kingdom that has no end. You're living for a God who has more power 
let the world have a dream. Romans 8. I'll just be honest. I'm going to preach as long as I can. It's a lot shorter than some of y'all think. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned to sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the Spirit do mind I'm sorry, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And so there is two cultures listed there in Romans chapter 8. There's a culture of the world, the culture of the flesh, and the culture of the Spirit. The culture of the apostolic church is a culture of the Spirit. The culture of the Spirit is a culture of freedom. It's a culture that it, it might look different and it should look different. It should look different than the culture of the world. It should sound different than the culture of the world. It should smell different. It should sound different. It should look different. It should taste different. It should taste better than orange dreamsicle cookies. Way better than those lard cookies. I'm just kidding. I'm going to stuff my face with those things. You just won't be able to go wrong, I think. If they're bad, I'll just buy all of those cookies. So you have to eat the orange ones. Ha! I could win. The culture of the apostolic church is a culture of freedom. When we come into this house, we're not coming in bound. Our worship is not binding. Our worship is loosening. Worship is freeing. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The culture of the apostolic church is a culture of freedom. I want to be in a place where I can freely worship. Acts chapter 6. Let's talk about the apostles. Let's talk about those who were influenced by the apostles. Chapter 6 and verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. You've heard me preach it before. I'm going to say it again just in case you missed it the first time. Stephen was one of seven who was ordained. He was set aside to be a waiter of tables. He was set aside to minister to the less fortunate. He was one of seven. Philip was another. Philip the evangelist. Don't be afraid of serving. Serving can take you some places. As far as I can tell, Philip was the only one uh, listed in the New Testament who was translated from one place to another. Started out by waiting table. Hey. Hannah. You just never know what's going to happen, sweetheart, when you're washing those dishes in that restaurant on Friday night. 
God, she's in there, and she's thinking she's just washing plates. No, you're part of an apostolic culture. You just never know. Somebody might walk in that kitchen, and they might have tears running down their face. And you know what you can do? You can say, listen, I'm about to put this plate on the side. It's time to tap in to something like Brother Stephen had, something like Brother Philip had. I'm part of a culture that says I got the answer. He's full of faith. He's full of power. He did great wonders and miracles among the people. There arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. Verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And so the preaching of this apostolic doctrine, the preaching of the Pentecostal experience that was being delivered passionately by Stephen, it was abrasive to the culture of tradition. Sometimes when I come into the house of God, the word of God is going to rub me the wrong way. That doesn't mean the word of God's wrong. That means I'm wrong. But thank God that being part of an apostolic culture means I can get it right. And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. There was something supernatural that began to take place in that city. They thought if we can get rid of Jesus, we'll silence them all. But when you're part of an apostolic culture, it's a culture of multiplication. What started with Jesus was then multiplied to 12 and then minus 1 and then my, uh, then add a another one in and then 120 and then thousands and then as many as the Lord our God shall call it's part of an apostolic culture that you can't shut one of us up and think you're going to get rid of the word of God I'm part of something bigger than just an individual I'm part of something bigger than me I'm part of an apostolic culture I'm part of an apostolic mandate that says I gotta act like I believe the word of the Lord says, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. His belief leads to action. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Take up serpents. God wasn't meaning literally. Context matters. they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover the word indicates that there will be times of turmoil there will be times of peril there will be times when danger is imminent but the kingdom cannot afford to back down the apostolic culture uh, mandates that we press forward the very essence of what it means to be part of the church means that we don't just sit back and just lackadaisically go through motions but every time I come into the house of God I'm coming in with the full intent that I'm taking ground in my own mind 
I'm taking ground in my own spirit. And when I walk out these doors, I'm going to take more ground. I'm going to take another field. I'm going to push the boundaries of my own human wits and my own human abilities because it's not based upon my own abilities. But Joshua, see that you've been given the city. The apostles were persecuted. They scattered, but they did not stop preaching. They did not stop meeting house to house. They did not stop being the church. Why? Because the apostolic culture is not bound by four walls and a roof. It's not bound by that which is temporal. But the apostolic culture mandates that the message must go on. Amos 9. Verse 11. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. There are some heathen folks who are called by the name of the Lord and they just don't know it yet. There are some folks sitting in our city tonight that have the hand of God upon their lives and they just don't know it yet. But God was saying, yea, though they sit in darkness, they will soon be in the light. Because the apostolic culture is not a culture that says it's us for and no more. But it's for whosoever will. I'm telling you that when you come into an apostolic church, it ought to be an atmosphere that's ripe for harvest. The sunset of God's mercy was yet to be viewed again in the sunrise of this future remnant. God was saying that from these ruins, there's going to be a tabernacle of David that's built again. It happened in Acts 15, verses 12 through 17. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James, brother of Jesus, pastor of the church at Jerusalem, answers, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. When he got a hold of Abraham, Abraham was a Gentile. And from him he created and to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written after this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all of these things. You see, we've got to understand that 
being part of the apostolic culture means that we are going to be a, a part of the tabernacle of David that we are going to understand and that we are going to exercise the Old Testament tabernacle of David had an emphasis on music it had an emphasis on joyful worship it stood in marked contrast to the tabernacle of Moses it clearly prefigured the day of Pentecost as well as a future spiritual restoration of the land of Israel the people of Israel and at that momentous event in Acts chapter 15 James was looking around after hearing the words of Barnabas and Paul and he recognized that that Pentecostal infilling that both the Jew and the Gentile had received was the restoration of this tabernacle of David that was promised in that day of restoration so when I'm part of the apostolic church I have a responsibility to partake in joyful worship in joyful praise that the worship and the praise of God's people should not be silent should not be quiet but should be demonstrative in experience and in power and in spirit When I'm part of an apostolic church, I have to worship. I get to worship. I'm telling you that worship will create this, this atmosphere unlike anything you could ever imagine. Anything that the world has to offer is a mockery and mimicry of that which Lucifer had experienced and helped create in heaven. That's why you went to those concerts and you screamed. You were worshiping. You didn't know any better, but that's what was going on. You were worshiping. That's why when you went to that ball game and you were screaming and you were hollering and you were all of those things, you were worshiping. When they paint their face, when they strip their clothes, and they paint their chest, and they make a fool of themselves, they're worshiping. And that's the counter culture. Which got its example from this culture. That's why when they, they teach their preachers how to preach, they play apostolic Pentecostal preaching for them. They say, this is what you got to mimic. This is what you got to do because they're trying to emulate and imitate something that is not part of their culture. The Holy Ghost. They may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name. You see, ladies and gentlemen, continual revival is consistent characteristic of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. That they may possess, that they may possess, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name. That shows us tonight the evangelistic power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The culture of the church needs to be of such power that the strongholds of hell break upon entrance that those who don't know how to praise God those who have never worshipped God are swept away in the spirit that broken hearts that broken minds find the process of regeneration in moments 
just mere moments of being exposed to that which is kingdom. Name is seven. Verse seven. Thus he showed me. Behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line. With a plumb line in his hand. It was a string, a weight on the bottom. You hold it up, it's gonna, it's gonna point straight down. He's standing upon a wall. It's the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. And their, their wall was askew. The wall of righteousness was askew. God was showing Amos, who was just a farmer. In fact, Amos would go to another prophet who was not obeying the words of God. And he's saying, listen, dude, I was just out with my sheep. I was just out with the oxen. God can use anybody. The fear from plumb was unmistakable. It was undeniable. And so just as that northern kingdom of Israel had veered away from the righteous ways of God in the days of Amos, and, and now we see our nation and our culture veering far from the things and the ways of God. They're nowhere close. There is no similarity to anything that's godly. But I believe that it is the will of God for the culture of the kingdom to not only hold true to the things of God, but also to push the agenda of the kingdom of God forward. It's not the will of God that we just simply hold ground. It's not the will of God that we just maintain. But the apostolic culture mandates that we push the limits, that we push our flesh, that we push forward in the will and the ways, the Spirit of God. You can be seen. I'm getting closer to being done. If I don't run out of notes, I'll run out of energy. Okay? If I don't run out of energy, I'll run out of notes. I'm going to run out of something. Newton, his third law of motion, says a force, a force is a push or a pull that acts upon an object as a result of its interaction with another object. Some forces result from contact interactions. Normal, frictional, tensional, and applied forces are examples of contact forces. That cell phone just fell off that chair because of contact force. Thank you. I was going to drop my water bottle, but you just saved us from making a mess. Thank you. But other forces are the result of action at a distance interaction. The cell phone moved because there was contact, but it fell to the ground 
because of a gravitational force. It's acting from a distance. Tides flow in and move out, not because of contact forces, but because of action at a distance interactions like gravity. Electrical and magnetic forces are actions at a distance interaction. And so according to Newton, whenever objects A and B interact with each other, they exert forces upon each other. When you sit in your nice, comfortable, padded pew chair, your body exerts a downward force on the chair. Some of us more than others. And the chair exerts an upward force on your body. Thank the Lord. There are two forces resulting from this interaction. A force on the chair and a force on your body. These two forces are called action and reaction. And they are subject, or the subject rather, of Newton's third law of motion. Formally stated, Newton puts it this way. For every action... There is an equal and opposite reaction. The statement means that in every interaction, there is a pair of forces acting on the two interacting objects. One does not bring all the force. Understand that. One does not bring all the force. The size of the forces on the first object equals the size of the force on the second object. We're talking physically. The direction of the force on the first object is opposite the direction of the force on the second object. If I'm moving forward and I run into you, Lord help you. I'm going to keep moving forward. You will not. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. There was a kid one time. I hadn't been pastor very long. <laughs> I love this story. Man, I love it. Okay. He wasn't small. He's going to grow up and be a man. Okay. But he's kind of a bully. And he thought he was going to bully me. I don't like bullies. Okay? I don't. I don't like cliques. I don't like bullies. I don't like mean people. But he was just being a kid, so he thought, man, what might happen if I ran into pastor? Dude came in like a wrecking ball. I saw him coming. I did not move. I was not afraid. I turned. And I introduced him to the hipster. <laughs> okay? For about 30 seconds, I became a hipster. Pop! I was moving forward. He was not. 
his direction of motion changed instantly because he quickly understood he did not bring the only force to the fight. He stumbled backward. He was dazed and confused. And he came back for round two. And I was ready. And this time I increased the force because I wasn't ready for a round three. And I popped him. And this time his direction not only changed once, but changed twice. And he fell prey to the force of gravity and fell down. Force always comes in pairs. Equal and opposite action. Reaction, force, pairs. And so it is in the spirit on similar levels with a greater factor in the equation. Romans 5 and verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, sin, boom, entered the world. And many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, boom, redemption entered the world. And shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. It's reactionary forces. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's stand tonight. I'm finished. Apostolic culture by its very own spiritual nature is combative to the culture of our world. It's combative to my flesh. It grates my fleshly nature. There's a greater factor at work on our side. Yes, sin does abound. Sin has reigned that the offense might abound. Verse 20, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It's not just equal and opposite forces. But every time sin, every time an individual with sin comes into the house of God, their sin is not the most powerful force in their life any longer. Sin is not overwhelming them at that moment. I know it looks like it. I know that by all accounts, by all intents, by all purposes, sin has a stronghold. But when you step into an apostolic culture, when you step into an apostolic church, and you've got people living in the apostolic culture, people that are living in the tabernacle of David, people that are living and creating an atmosphere of worship, an atmosphere of praise, it's a dynamic combination. I know our carnal nature has some power. That's why it's hard to pray. That's why it's hard to worship. That's why it's hard to preach. That's why it's hard to evangelize. That's why it's hard to give. That's why it's hard to go. That's why it's hard to become. But that's also exactly why it's necessary to live as an apostolic. Because we've got a world out there that's waiting on us. It's needing the culture of the kingdom to overwhelm and overthrow the culture of sin and the culture of darkness. I'm here to tell you tonight that we're part of a dynamic culture. 
that demands response, that demands action, that demands an atmosphere of impossibilities. <laughs>